All right, if you would please turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. With the new year, people are still talking about you know, things that are new, things they want to accomplish, things, uh, you know, resolutions and things like that. It's, it's funny, this is, this is about the time resolutions start to drop off the, 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 the priority list for a lot of people. They've made it through the first week, first week and a half, and they're ready to give up and move on. But again, this, it's still the, the idea of a new year. Maybe some of you have noticed it's a little bit tough to write 2020 on things when you're putting the date. It's because it's still a little bit new. I was thinking about uh, this message for today. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, a very familiar passage of Scripture, what God has for us here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. For each of us who are Christians, we are new creatures in Christ. But what does that mean? What's being said here? What does this verse involve? I want us to consider three areas concerning this matter of being a new creature. First, our choosing. Secondly, our cleansing. And then third, our changing. Notice the verse starts out saying, therefore, if any man be in Christ. In reading this verse, one might naturally ask the question, how does a person become a new creature? What does it mean to be a new creature? So in this first phrase, if any man be in Christ, we immediately see two things that help to answer this question. The first, notice the word if. It indicates one may or may not be in Christ. It requires a choice being made by every person individually. So does one want to be in Christ or not. To the best of my knowledge, everyone here has repented of his or her sin and received Jesus Christ as Savior. But understand, there was a time when we weren't saved. See, the problem for many is they incorrectly assume they are already in Christ. They've grown up in a religious environment. They've attended church. They've attempted to live a good life. They've simply believed everyone is a child of God and therefore everyone goes to heaven when they die. But the problem is that's not true. In order for someone to be in Christ, they have to be born again. No one is born into this world in Christ. The scripture is clear. Everyone is a sinner at birth and in need of a savior. If you would look at Romans chapter 5, there's several verses of scripture here. I want you to notice, and these might very well be quite familiar to you, but I would like us to see them. And as we start out this new year, I hope one of the things we'd like to accomplish this year is having the opportunity to share the gospel with others. Some verses of scripture this morning we give you will enable you to do that. But when speaking with people, and by the way, you talk to people today, we have to realize we are living in a biblically ignorant time. 
There are generations of people today who don't know anything about the Word of God. And sometimes in witnessing to people, we have to approach our discussion with them just like a missionary on the foreign field is approaching someone who's never heard of Jesus Christ. It's phenomenal how many people know nothing about God, Christ, the Bible, church, or salvation today. And so when we talk to people, we have to understand there are some basic thoughts we have to get across. First of all, everyone is born a sinner. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. There are a lot of folks who don't appreciate that comment. There are a lot of folks who don't agree with it. I remember sharing the gospel with a lady one time. I referred to this and said, we're all sinners. And she said, I'll have you know, I'm not a sinner. Don't you talk to me like I'm some heathen in the jungle. Well, the sad fact is, anyone who is not in Christ is a sinner is a heathen, is subject to the nature, the fallen nature that they inherited from Adam. We don't say that to insult somebody. We do that to instruct them so they might know how to make good and godly decisions or make a wise decision for trusting Christ. Turn back to chapter 3. Notice the scripture tells us, starting at verse 10, as it is written, and by the way, this is a quote from the book of Psalms, but as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. Why? They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. You know, the Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 64, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Compared to God, the very best we can do is nothing but filth in his sight. Why? Because he is the thrice holy God who is absolutely pure and holy and just and divine. And the very best we can do comes far, far short of that. That's why Romans chapter 3 verse 23 tells us, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The very best we can do, we fall short of that which is good. You notice on our website, we have a, a page dealing with the, uh, the message of salvation. And it's illustrated there. The idea that uh, man stands on one, kind, one side of a chasm and God is on the other and there's no way to get across. No matter how hard we might try, no matter how high we jump, no matter how much effort we put forth, we will always come up short in our attempt to reach God. By the way, that's why Jesus Christ came down to man, that he might reach us. The Bible tells us everybody has sinned. The problem, again, is for those who think they're okay. They misunderstand this idea of the sinful nature. Everyone's born in sin and is therefore in need of a Savior. And every man, woman, boy and girl in this world will be held accountable for this question, what have you done with Jesus Christ? Do you accept him or do you reject him? Have you trusted him or have you denied him? That's why the scripture says, if any man be in Christ, 
Not an assumption that everybody is. It is an understanding that everybody is not when they are born. And when they are born again, that's when we are in Christ. How do we know that? For Romans 10, 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So that's the first thing we see in this phrase, if any man be in Christ, to help us to understand the answer to the question, how does someone become a new creature? The second thing in this phrase, in considering that question, how does a person become a new creature, is the matter of being in Christ. This is the key phrase, by the way, of this verse, and it's what makes a person a new creature. When someone truly repents of their sin and receives Jesus Christ, God places and positions that person in Christ. Not merely near, close by, or around. No, we are in Him. When a person believes in Jesus Christ, he or she is born into the family of God, and that thus becomes identified with Him. And that's good news, isn't it? John chapter 1, verse 12. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. You look at the concluding verses in the book of uh, the Gospel of John, John chapter 20, verse 31, summarizing that book, telling us these things are written, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through His name. Then John carries that idea over into one of his letters, 1 John 3, verse 2. It says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Yes, being in Christ. It's not a matter of being in a church. It's not a matter of being in a particular family or country or holding doctrinal... No, it's a matter of being in Him, knowing we've been born again, and we are a part of the family of God. What a blessing that He has allowed us to hear that good news and allowed us to be born into His family. And now we are joint heirs with Christ. That's an amazing thing when you think about it. If any man be in Christ, if, are you? In Christ. That's our position in Him. That's why Ephesians, Paul writing to the Ephesian believers, said we're already seated together in heavenly places with Him. You see, some folks are worried about losing their salvation. It's not a matter of my having to do something to hold on, to pray through, or to maintain my salvation. No, it's what Christ has done. And I am now a new creature because of him, his work. I am in Christ and thus seated with him in heavenly places. You know, that's a place you're not going to be unseated from. You hear stories every now and then, articles, news articles about a, uh, a, a company president or a, a high-ranking official in a corporation that gets unseated. They lose their position in the company. You know, you can never lose your position in Christ. We might harm our fellowship, but our relationship will never be broken. Once a child of God, a child for all eternity. What a joy to know. But not only that... We look at our cleansing. Therefore, 
if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. This verse is a favorite of those who have recently been saved and is often quoted in personal testimonies and is often shared with others when witnessing to them. But sometimes, in being thus quoted, it gives quite a false impression. You see, listeners are apt to think that a person is saved, and therefore old habits, evil thoughts, lustful looks, are forever done away with. That would be nice, wouldn't it? But we know that not to be true. You see, this verse doesn't describe a believer's practice, but a believer's position in Christ. I'm sure you realize, but we are the same person after we get saved that we were before we were saved. Some incorrectly teach uh, something called the eradication of the old nature. The old nature, the Adamic nature, the fallen nature, the old man, it's referred to that way in Scripture. That indicates uh, that uh, mankind is born into this world in a lost condition. And when we get saved, we get the new nature, the Christ nature. But that, the new nature doesn't eliminate the old. See, once a person is saved, these folks teach in the eradication of the old nature. They, once a person is saved, that old nature is gone. You can live above sin. I heard my pastor say many years ago, the only way you can live above sin is have an apartment above a pool hall or a bar. But that's, uh, we cannot live above sin by saying, all right, I'm saved. I'm never, never, never going to sin again. My wife, of all people, wishes that were true. But it's not. We all have that old fallen nature, that Adamic nature. The issue now is for us, we who are saved, we have two natures, two natures within us. And the question is, which one do we nourish? Which one do we feed? Which one do we give attention to? When carnal, backslidden, and away from the Lord, we follow the old nature. We give in to lustful desires. We yield to old habits, old practices, old temptations. Following the old nature leads us to do wrong every time. But when we submit to the Lord, be not drunk with wine, we're in his excess, but be filled with the Spirit. When we yield our bodies to the Lord, when we yield our minds and our hearts in service to him, we follow the, that new nature. We follow the Christ nature. What, it, what we're saying is we're walking in the newness of life. We're living like he lived and he wants us to live. You see, the difference today is which nature do you give more attention to? Which do you feed? And you understand the eyes. You say they're the uh, window to the soul. What we see, what we take in through what we watch, what we read, what we observe, impacts us. It leaves marks on our soul, if you will. Are those beauty marks or are they blemishes? Are we taking in that which is pleasing to him? Like the psalmist said, (laughs) I will have set no wicked thing before mine eyes. Or are we following youthful lusts? You see, it's the idea that I'm going to 
observe a lot of things in life. The question is, what am I doing to filter them out? We can't prevent ourselves from being exposed to sin. That's, that's a mistake many young parents make. They want to shelter their children and never let them get around anything bad because they love them and they want to protect them and want to keep them pure, innocent as long as they can. You know, the fact is, sin is everywhere. Kids are going to be exposed to things. What we need to do is teach them how to properly respond to that which they are exposed to. And that ought to be a practice that's put into action and motion as we grow and mature in the Lord. How do we filter out those things we get exposed to? How do we prevent those things from getting into our thought process? Well, the scripture tells us casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We have the mind of Christ, according to 2 Corinthians. We ought to use it. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. What that tells me is I don't have to be under the power of the old nature. Romans chapter 6 tells us that. Turn to Romans chapter 6 if you would. I think you're still in Romans. Verse 12. Romans 6, 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield. The word yield indicates choice here. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Jump down to verse 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are uh, to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness Old things have passed away. What is that talking about? It's talking about sin. When we got saved, God washed us, cleansed us, made us a new creature. And all that sin was washed away. I remember illustrating it this way in teaching a children's class. that If you can imagine God having this, this giant chalkboard in heaven. And every time something is done wrong, every time you do something wrong, it's written on that board. Every bad word, every bad thought, every act of disobedience, everything. Mine was a really big chalkboard. But when I got saved, God got out of his eraser and he wiped that thing clean, making me a new creature in Christ, a fresh start. You see, our sins were dealt with at Calvary. And when God, God forgave our sins, he wiped them out, never to be remembered again. You know, we're not going to stand before God and be judged for our sins. Those who are not in Christ, yes, they will. You see, there's a difference between the judgment seat of Christ and the great, great white throne judgment. The judgment seat of Christ, my motives, my service will be judged. And those things I do for the Lord will survive that trial by fire, 1 Corinthians tells us, and they'll come forth as gold, silver, and precious stones. And for that, I will be rewarded. But the things I've done for self, those things are going to burn up 
as wood, hay, and stubble. And I'll not be rewarded for any of that. Each of us will find ourselves in that position. Not judged for our sin, but our service being examined, if you will. But for the sinner, they'll stand before God at the great white throne judgment. The books will be opened, and another book, and their name will not be found in the Lamb's book of life. The scripture declares, God will say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Scripture tells us they'll be cast headlong into the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. How tragic. Because they were not in Christ. Because they were still following that old nature and never yielded, never accepted the new nature, that of Christ. But for us as Christians, thank God our sins are gone. Scripture tells us God has removed them from us as far as the east is from the west. He's cast cast them into the depths of the deepest sea. In fact, the scripture tells us he will remember them no more. You ever done something wrong and gone and apologized and asked somebody to forgive you? And they say, okay, I forgive you. And then a couple days later they say, you remember when you said that about me? They're not going to let you forget. God never does that. Far as the east is from the west. Depths of the deepest sea. Puts them behind his back so they can be seen no more. He remembers them no more. God never drags our sins back up before us. They're forgiven. That's what it means when old things are passed away. Our sins are forgiven. They're gone. It doesn't mean I'll never sin again. But thank God he has promised that when we do, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So this idea of old things being passed away, that's talking about the forgiveness of sin. The old man is still there, but I don't have to be under his power. You see, when we got saved, God delivered us from the penalty of sin. As we grow and mature in Christ, God delivers us from the power of sin. As I become more like Christ, I'm more able to say no to sin and yes to Christ. And when God calls us home, he's going to deliver us from the presence of sin. Thank God, old things are passed away. But we notice, not only do we see the cleansing here, but then we do get to this matter of change. Behold, all things are become new. From this it's clearly seen that a person who is in Christ is a new creature. So what does it mean to be a new creature? Very simply put, it means what the scripture says, the repentant sinner actually receives a new nature, a new life, and our behavior changes. Whereas a person was dead to God, as a new creature, we are alive in him. Whereas a person had no relationship with God, now as a new creature, we have an open relationship with the Lord. Whereas a person could never fellowship and commune with God, a new creature may fellowship and commune with him at any time. Whereas a person was living in sin and immorality, now as a new creature, we are able to live in righteousness and according to holiness. Whereas a person was doomed to judgment and eternal separation from God, a new creature, 
is destined to live eternally in his presence. This is what the scripture means when we hear phrases like being born again, saved, washed in the blood, redeemed. They all mean or refer to the same thing. I am in Christ. Thus we can sing, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We can talk about being a child of God, being born into the family of the Lord. We know and are assured that one day we will be with Him because we have a home in heaven. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the message people need to hear today. A person can start life all over, no matter how corrupt they've become or how far down they've sunk into the depths of sin. You know, I've had people say to me in, in, in witnessing to them, but God can't forgive me for what I did, what I've done. I said, oh, yes, he can forgive me. Said, well, you don't know. You don't know. I said, no, I don't, but the Lord does. And he says, if you, can, if you turn to him, he'll cleanse you, he'll forgive you. What a blessing to know. God's word is true. Yes, there are some folks out there today who have done some incredibly, incredibly wicked things. And I've heard some Christians mistakenly say, well, you know, there's a person that can never get saved. Not only can they never, they don't deserve to be. Well, none of us deserve to be saved. We all deserve hell. For it was our sin that nailed Christ to Calvary's tree. He didn't deserve to be there. I did. But the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is a long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That word all means the same thing it does every other time in Scripture it's used. It means all. Your neighbor, your family, your co-workers, your acquaintances, your enemies. God desires everyone be saved. And by the way, when it says all things are become new, that word become, it's in the present perfect tense. It indicates the results of the new birth at some point in time in the past remain through the present. I don't have to get saved over and over and over again because what happened that day, June 17, 1974, when I called on him, went into effect, and it will never come to an end. What a joy to know. When we trusted Christ as our Savior, it was for good. Yes, the great changes reconciliation brings upon the sinner are changes only the gospel can bring. People try to live a good life. They try to be an honest person. They try to be a good neighbor. Try to be uh, the, the best person they can be but it's never going to be good enough. Now, when it says all things are become new, you understand there are some things that aren't going to change. It doesn't mean a person who is missing a leg gets a new leg. It doesn't mean a person who is married is no longer married. No, we're not talking about that. You know, when you get saved, you are still the same person you were. But the things that do change are these, among others, There's a change in devotion. When we get saved, our interests change. The things we desire to do, the things we love and long for, 
change. When you trusted Christ as your Savior, did not your interest and outlook on life change? Psalm 40, verse 3, And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. God definitely gave me a new song when I got saved. Second Peter three thirteen. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, which dwelleth, you know, in which dwelleth righteousness. Our outlook on life is completely different because our interests have been changed. What else has changed? We have a new deportment. It's changing our behavior. I don't know about you, but my, my list of activities changed dramatically when I got saved. Not only did my interests change, but the things that I did changed. You know, one who truly gets saved is not just going to recognize a change internally, but it's going to be evident externally as well. John thirteen thirty four. Jesus said, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Ephesians four twenty four, And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Someone who rejects a lifestyle of holiness, I believe is a false professor of of the Lord Jesus Christ. For once God changes our heart and makes us a new creature, there ought to be new activities that go along with it. And if that lifestyle is absent or void from a professing Christian person's life, I do not believe they're saved. You know, I, same, people say, well, that's pretty narrow-minded. Well, the scripture tells us in Christ we're a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. If there's nothing new, then there's something missing. There's a change in destiny. Yes. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Oh, and here's the good news. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. A new home. Yes, we have a new home, a new heart, heart, a new song. We have new interests, new desires, new devotion. What a blessing to know we are a new creature in Christ. Paul, in writing to the Corinthian believers, was more able to reflect upon this transformation than many others. When saved, he was changed from a persecutor of Christ to a proclaimer of Christ. I'd encourage you in considering this verse not to make the mistake that many people do in thinking, I am more a Christian than somebody else because I was a greater sinner than someone else. You know, sometimes you hear people say about another person, wow, what a great testimony. I'll tell you that just, just amazing what they went through, what they did as, a, as an unsaved person. What a, what a testimony. Listen, everybody's testimony is the same. Sinner, saved by the grace of God. You might have a whole lot more details and fluff that you can throw into your testimony than somebody else. After all, you think about a a six-year-old child who gets saved because they hear the gospel and realize they're a sinner and they want to live forever with Jesus. 
they're not going to be able to talk about all the sin and the depths of depravity that a, uh, an aged man or woman who've lived a life of sin would, would boast about. D.L. Moody, in a particular meeting he was preaching, uh, had a, a very small response one night during the invitation. And, and the only ones to come forward to get saved were two men, two older men, and a child. And so he was introducing them. And uh, he said, what we have here is uh, these, these individuals got saved, these folks got saved. said, we have one and two halves that got saved. Preacher that was on the platform correct him said, no, no, it's two and a half. You have two adults and one child. He said, no, we have one and two halves. The child can live his whole life for the Lord. They've already spent half of their life. You see, when we look at things through God's perspective, just because someone was a wicked, 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 wicked sinner doesn't mean they have a better testimony than somebody else. No, no. Sinner saved by the grace of God. All in the same boat. All grateful for the work of grace in our lives. And we, like Paul, can declare, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Yes, he experienced a radical change, but this is the same change that everyone who trusts Christ as their Savior experiences. Once dead, now alive. Formerly blind, now we see. Close with this illustration about this idea of knowing where you're going. And I, I believe I've shared this with you before, but it's appropriate for this morning. The story is told of a time when Albert Einstein was on a train going for an out-of-town engagement. The conductor stopped along the way to punch tickets, and he asked for his ticket. And the, the scientist was pretty preoccupied with his work and uh, greatly embarrassed. He, he rummaged through his, uh, his coat and his, his pockets and his briefcase, and he couldn't find the ticket. The conductor said, well, we all know who you are, Dr. Einstein. I'll, uh, I'll be, I'm sure you bought a ticket. I'll come back in a little bit. So anyway, he walked away and then came back a little bit later. And Einstein was just frazzled because he couldn't find his ticket. He's down on the floor in, with, on his hands and knees, looking under his seat, trying to figure out what he did with his ticket. And finally, the conductor said, Dr. Einstein, please don't worry about it. We know who you are. Don't worry. And he said, good man, I know who I am as well. I just can't remember where I'm going. For a lot of folks today, they don't know where they're going. They think they do, but not certain. For those of us who have been born again, what a joy to be able to say, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I'm going to heaven. And witnessing to others, we ought to be able to ask that question, how about you?